0: Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nlutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. It's my privilege to share God's word with you. But back in 1954, there was a young pastor and he had received a call to Montgomery, Alabama. And when you are a pastor and you receive a call, when you receive a job opportunity and you have to move across the nation, there's a lot of things to consider, right? You got to think about the church, right? If you're going to spend most of your time at the church, you better love this church. You better love the church building. You better love the culture of the church. You better love the people of the church, right? There's a lot of things to consider. But you also need to consider the community, right? If I move my family across the United States, Are we going to enjoy the community and the people of this community? And most importantly, will we thrive in this community? And for this young pastor, this was the biggest question he had to ask himself because this young pastor was a black man and his wife was a black lady. And they were currently living in the North, which means they were insulated from the horrible, dehumanizing Jim Crow laws of the South. And to move down there meant they were going to subjugate themselves to this and potentially their future kids to this. Laws like the busing laws, where the black people were forced to sit in the back of the bus while the white people could sit in the front of the bus. Even if there were no white people on the bus and if all the seats were full in the back of the bus, they could not encroach on the white person's seats. However, The white people, if they had filled up all the seats and they wanted to go further back in the bus, they could make the black people stand up and make them stand in the back of the bus. It was a horrible law, a horribly dehumanizing law. In fact, if that wasn't bad enough, what would happen is everyone would pay their toll at the front of the bus. However, if you were a black person, you had to pay your toll and then get off the bus Walk to the back of the bus and then get on through the back door to get to your seat. And sometimes when the white bus drivers wanted to show their disdain for your life, they would take the toll, and as you exited and were walking to the back, they would just simply drive away. This is the climate that this young pastor had to consider moving his family into the space. This was the conversation that he was having with his wife. Could we handle it? Could we tolerate it? Is this really where we want to raise our kids when we have it so good up here? But despite all those reasons not to go, on September 1st, 1954, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. would take this call at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama to be their next pastor. And in his book, Stride Toward Freedom, he writes about all of his experiences in Montgomery and all the turmoil that he experienced and all the ways that he tried to make a difference. But his way of approaching injustice was very different than how the world tends to operate. In fact, he writes about his philosophy at the end of his book. This is what he says. Violence as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. It is impractical because it is a a descending spiral ending in destruction for all. The old law of an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than winning his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than to convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. Now, if you have been around church for a while, you've been a follower of Christ for a while, this philosophy should sound very familiar. In fact, some of these words should sound pretty familiar because this philosophy did not originate with Dr. King. It originated with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who also taught this concept of, of Christian love despite the brokenness and the persecution and the injustice in this world. And so today, we're gonna go to the source of this philosophy in the book of Matthew, Christ's very own words about living this very different way of life. This is what he says. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So as we step into this gospel writing, we're stepping into a piece of history where Jesus is talking to a large crowd of people very similar to you and me. People who have internalized this idea that if we want justice, well, justice is simply creating equality, right? We have to have equal retaliation. If you do something to me, then I do something to you. If you take, then I take, and then we find ourselves on equal footing, right? Then we're square, right? Later on today, if you're driving your car and someone runs into you, right? They have to pay for the repair of your car, if you get hurt, they pay for your hospital bills, right? You have some sort of settlement. And since they took something from you, then you take something from them and then you are square, right? Now, if you go to work on Monday, what are you doing? You're giving somebody, right? They're taking your time and your talent for a portion of your life. And then at the end of that, you get paid and they then give you something. Then you take something from them. And then you are Square. Now, if you grow up with brothers, it looks like this, right? Your brother punches you and you punch him back, right? And then you are even, right? You're square. It's this idea of equal retaliation, right? You take something from me, I take something from you. And as general humanity, we get this, right? And we're kind of all in agreement. And if Jesus just stopped here, I think we'd kind of say, okay. Yeah, I think we get this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And when he originally talked to these people in this first century, they would be nodding in agreement too. Because not only would they have this this part of our humanity that naturally kind of leans here, but they had the Old Testament echoing in their minds. Because in Leviticus 24, this is exactly what it says. It says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But we have to remember something about the Old Testament and the New Testament, that they are not mutually exclusive that the Old Testament and New Testament are one beautiful flowing masterpiece of God's revelation to us, where he reveals himself in grace and truth. And when we take that into account and we really understand the heart of God, we see that this law in Leviticus was not meant for us to justify retaliation, but to cap our retaliation, to limit it. So we don't become like little children who one brother bumps into the other brother and so the other one shoves the other one back and the other one punches just a little bit harder and soon it turns into a full-blown war because that's our natural human tendency right it's never quite equal it's always a little extra jab but praise the lord as we encounter this piece of scripture we see we're going to see that God operates very differently, that Jesus op- operates very differently, because if He didn't, not only would the whole world be blind and toothless, the whole world would be completely destroyed. Because it's this very same Jesus that we put on the cross and killed Him, but He showed us a different way, and this is the way that He taught. But I say to you, do not resist an evil doer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. You see, in this, we're gonna see Christ very different way. Right, when we naturally say, okay, you took something from me, now I'm justified in taking something from you, and now we're even, Jesus is gonna teach us to actually give to those who take. It's so unnatural. But here's the thing. We've been doing it the other way for a long time, and it's not working. Which means if we keep doing the same thing over and over and again that doesn't work, maybe we should try the exact opposite, and that's what Christ is offering. When people take from you instead, you give to them. And so he says, when someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. Now, what he's not doing here is he's not talking about a physical altercation, like you're in a dark alley and someone jumps you and you just take it. No, of course. You have to defend yourself you have to run away what he's talking about here is he's talking about an insult right kind of the backhand if someone insults you how are you going to respond and jesus says if someone insults you you just let it go don't do the normal human thing where someone insults you and then you insult them with maybe a little bit harder edge we see this a lot online right they post something and then we post something and we, they post something. We just go back and forth. We find ourselves, we waste our entire day on something that has never changed a heart to begin with. And Jesus says, instead, when someone insults you, just let it go. Let the truth resolve it and walk away. Well, he's not done. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. Once again, this idea of you take, but I give. And now he's talking about a physical possession, right? He's talking about someone actually physically taking something that was given to us or something that we worked hard to buy. I don't know if this has ever happened to you before where someone's taken money from you. Maybe they haven't paid their bill or maybe they've stolen something out of your car, out of your home, right? This is a horrible experience, It's an incredible violation. And you feel not only the loss of your physical possession, but you you feel the brokenness of the emotion that develops within you because you naturally, you get angry and you get bitter about a person who hasn't given this a second thought. And you're left with not only the loss of your possession, but the loss of your emotional well-being. And Jesus says, there is a different way Because here's the truth. The only way not to experience loss in your life is to choose to give it away instead of having it be taken from you. Well, Jesus moves on. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Once again, this very consistent philosophy if you take, I'm going to give. And now he's talking about the most precious commodity that we have in our lives. He's talking about time. You see, in this culture, in this day, the Roman Empire was basically ruling the whole known world at that point in time. And they had this law in the books where the soldiers would come in and they could demand that you would carry their stuff. They would waste your time. Right. Imagine you're working on this big homework project for college or high school or something. Right. You, you're in the thick of it. The due date is coming, and you are just focused. And all of a sudden, the soldier says, "Well, you got to carry on my stuff," and you begrudgingly go. And now they're wasting your time. Imagine you have a deadline at work, and the client needs this right now, and they're extra demanding, and they're a big client. And the soldier comes. takes you away in the middle of your focused project imagine you finally get that vacation with your family and you're in the park and a soldier walks up and he drags you away to carry his stuff and he takes away that time that you'll never have back this is what Jesus is talking about even in this situation which is one of the worst situations when they take you give Well, he's not done. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. And here's where he just gets the catch-all. Right, if anyone asks, if they want, if they're trying to take, if they request, give freely. And I don't know about you, but everything in my being wants to yell no. Right, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because built into our human DNA is this fear of loss, right? We don't want our sports team to lose. We don't want to lose our job. We don't want to lose our grade. We don't want to lose our retirement. We don't want to lose our hair, right? We don't want to lose our health. We don't want to experience loss. That everything in our being wants to fight against experiencing any loss whatsoever. And Jesus says, in the face of loss. When people want to take from you, you give. Here's the worst part about the scripture. He's not done yet. It's about to get much, much worse. Look at what he says next. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So once again, he takes us to the natural human posture, right, there's two groups of people. There's the neighbors, there's our friends, there's our family, those are the people we love. And the reason we love them and the reason we get along with them is why? Because they give to us and we give to them, right? They give us their love and compassion. We give them our love and compassion. Our neighbor borrows us some sugar. If that still happens anymore, they bring you cookies, right? They mow your yard. There's all of this mutual transaction. And so we have a good relationship with them because they give, we give, they take, we take, right? It all e- equals out at the end. But the enemy is something very, very different. By definition, an enemy is somebody who takes from you. Not only do they take from you, but they take to destroy, right? They take your property, they take your freedom, they take your rights. This is who the enemy is. This is the natural human thinking. But Jesus says, there's a different way. This is what he says. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When they want to take, even if their goal is to destroy you, he says, give. And here's where my humanity pushes up against this. And here's where your humanity pushes up against this, right? But they're the enemy. And if they're the enemy, I have to strike back. And if I don't strike back, they're just going to take advantage of me for the rest of my life. And here's where we naturally go, right? If they're the enemy, that means they're the bad guy. That means I'm the good guy, which means any action I take against them, no matter how immoral I might've viewed it before, is justified because they are the bad guy, they are the enemy and they're taking and I'm gonna fight back. But Jesus says, when they take, you give. And not only did Jesus teach this, but he lived this. As we fast forward through the gospel, we see him hanging on the cross. These people are mocking him. They're ridiculing. They are going to kill him. And what do we find him doing? Exactly what he said. He's praying for the people who are killing him. You remember these words? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They have taken everything from him. And yet he continues to give. So why would he want us to do this? Why would he want us to behave in this way? Well, he closes with the answer. He says, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, the answer to that question is not that you will be entered into the family of faith because of what you've done. That's not what he's saying. We're we're connected to Jesus because of Christ's work on the cross and our trust in his promises and our faith in him. But what he is saying is when you're a part of the family of God, you're going to naturally act like your father. We naturally take on the characteristics of our parents. And the characteristic of the father is, is that when the world constantly takes and takes and takes and takes from him and disregards him and ignores him, doesn't listen to his law and the ways that he calls us to live our lives, but only demands more and more and more and more, what does he do? He gives. And as children, we are called to live like the father. But here's the question that's probably rattling in your mind. I know it was rattling in mine is does this really work, right? Is this even practical? Or will I just end up in this endless cycle of people taking advantage of me and I'm that person where everyone just knows I'm the softy and I always give in and I'm always giving and always giving. And in the end, I'm just empty. Well, 1955, Martin Luther King, after less than a year of leading this church in Montgomery, Alabama, would see that it was time to respond to these busing laws. And so he gathered other black leaders in the area and they joined together and they were dreaming up ways to deal with this problem, the busing law problem. And many of them raised their hand and said, look, we need to respond to this violent act, this dehumanizing act with violence. And if we respond with strength, they will finally listen to us. But Dr. King offered a different way. He said, no, no. We must follow in the path of our savior. We must respond with passive resistance through Christian love. And he won the crowd over. And they got on the same page. And they started doing one of the biggest bus boycotts in the history of the world. And the next day, 50,000 black people stopped riding the bus. And they went to work in a carpool they developed. They would ride in taxis and the taxi drivers would give them discounts to get to their work and not pay any more. They'd ride horses if they had to and they would walk up to 15 miles. Then that next day, the busing lines lost 75% of their riders. And over the course of the year, the most amazing thing would happen through this passive resistance, through Christian love, the hearts of the people would be changed and the laws of the land would be changed. And the federal court in Montgomery, Alabama would side on the right side of history and anyone could ride the bus and sit wherever they would like. In fact, this would get pushed all the way to the Supreme Court because the 14th amendment, the Supreme Court would side and the side of equality, and the value of all of mankind, in the course of history, would be absolutely changed because of this passive resistance through Christian love. Because Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. internalized the very words of Jesus Christ. And knew that it was more than a teaching, but it was a way of life. You see, these words of Jesus were not just meant for this man that we remember on Monday. It wasn't meant for this one tiny moment in history so we could celebrate this as a nation in the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Christ's words are meant for each and every one of us to use in our daily lives. It's meant for the way that we interact with our family, our neighbors, our friends, our sports teams, our classrooms, in our marriages, and yes, even with those people, that think exactly the opposite and do exactly the opposite of what we would do, right? The people that just take and take and take and take. You see, when we start living our lives like this and we offer our hard, broken hearts to God, He begins to soften our hearts. And we get to extend our now soft hearts that we we give to people who are constantly taking when we extend our new Christ like soft heart the most amazing thing happens the people around us they start having their hearts softened as well